Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and our first segment for tonight is the AWA Report with Dan Loa, uh, who is the founder of the American Workforce Association. Uh, today, in addition to learning what's new with the AWA, we will be exploring opportunities that are available to those who'd like to get more involved uh, with this movement. Greetings and welcome, Dan. Thank you, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. The holidays treating you well? Yes, yes. Had some fun good. with the uh, family yesterday. So uh-huh. you enjoyed that. Fantastic. And uh, last time we talked, there was a lot going on with uh, the AWA. Would you care to update us? Yes, we've been uh, busy. Uh, working on uh, outreach, uh, for example. We've uh, developed uh, relationships with an uh, interesting association of truck drivers seeking to organize individuals awesome. in that uh, industry, seeking to really um, help their members there who have been dealing, unfortunately, with some of the uh, changes in the rules which have made the business a little more difficult. So... And we've established a good partnership there. We're continuing our advocacy of 15 an hour as uh-huh. it uh, continues uh, through New Jersey. Unfortunately, the bill introduced by the speaker uh, was very weak. So we had a uh, big lobby day uh, before Christmas in which uh, myself, along with other uh, leaders of the uh, coalition, were advocating to our uh, legislators about the uh, need to strengthen the bill so that nobody is uh, carved out so that all workers having 15 an hour, at least as their minimum wage. So we made good progress on that, I'm happy to say. And we're continuing uh, building relationships with uh, unions and working to see what we can do to deal with misclassification of workers. 
1099 workers, unfortunately, are treated by their employers really more like workers rather than uh, independent contractors, which is more designation for a business rather than a mm-hmm. worker. Unfortunately, it's a large loophole that a lot of uh, employers uh, take advantage of right now uh, to the detriment of the workers who are unable to get health insurance, uh, vacation, pay, sick days, pension as well. So it's uh, a large problem, unfortunately, that's uh, really growing. You know, We've been speaking to experts at Cornell University and Rutgers University who recognize this as a serious problem. So we're seeing what we can do about that now. Uh, that is awesome. Um, what was weak about uh, the bill, um, and how could it be strengthened? So, <laughs> that's a good question. So <laughs> ideally, the bill would have raised the minimum wage in New Jersey to, to about 862 right now. It would have raised the wage to 15 in about four or five years for all workers. Unfortunately, this made exceptions or carve-outs for, one, youth workers, uh, youth workers, seasonal workers, farm workers, and tipped workers, which is a difficult situation because historically tipped workers are only paid a few dollars. But, you know, we have this, so these carve-outs, though, it would have taken, instead of four or five years, it would have taken 10 years to get to 15 and then it would never have been at the same uh, level then as the rest of the workers. And there's also this talk of a small business carve-out. So people working for an employer with less than 10 employees would not receive 15 an hour in the minimum wage raise that they really need to make ends meet. So unfortunately, with all these carve-outs, the bill would... Uh, would not help almost 50% of the population that uh, would benefit wow. from raising the minimum wage. A lot of people are now working for small businesses, and we have a lot of youth workers in the state, you know, and they don't want to just pocket money. They want to legitimately try to support themselves. And especially, this is especially true in uh, Hispanic families where a kid earning a few dollars is significant to a family that's struggling to make ends meet. So this is... Uh, <laughs> Quite unfortunate uh, that the bill was so weak, so we weren't able to get it passed uh, by December 17th as we had initially hoped, so the fight continues. Good, and uh, I'm glad you're in the thick of things, uh, making sure that the fight uh, goes on. Um, What are some of the challenges that are now facing uh, drivers? Uh, My father-in-law was a a truck driver, and uh, I remember maybe a decade ago, uh, a decade and a half, maybe, um, his seniority became uh, meaningless first. <laughs> and uh, then there were other changes in how the way things were done uh, so that he was getting hardly any work, you know, within a, a very short period of time. And he'd been working as a trucker uh, for a large part of his life. So uh, everything just changed. And all of a sudden it became something uh, um, not very profitable to do, whereas uh, for uh, for most of his career, it was, um, and you're telling me now it's getting it's getting even more difficult to drive. 
What are some of the challenges that they're facing? So I'm speaking with the Sport Drivers Association, which seeks to organize the truckers who are taking containers out of the uh, port of uh, New York, New Jersey, and Elizabeth, and then subsequently transporting them around the tri-state region. Now, as I understand it, one, it's a lack of education on the understanding of what's the way to run this as a business, because according to their president, uh, it is possible to do so. But Mm -hmm. it's quite difficult now, one, because the the turnaround for the trucks uh, has to be a lot quicker, for example. People are no longer really allowed to work 15-hour days where they would have made a certain good amount of money, for example. And they still have to wait, like, for a very long time to get a container in the morning. So that's a big problem. But one of the larger problems is the nature of the structure of employment or working in the sector that you have the main contractor, A, talks to subcontractor B, who then talks to subcontractor C uh, to get the work done. So the workers, truckers, are C, quite unfortunately, and they're not really, and they're working for B, but people really, but to really get at the problem, you need to talk to A. Right. So, this is a large problem, actually, in a lot of industries. So it's like who who is responsible for taking care of the workers? Uh, yeah, because uh, again, it makes it very easy to pass the buck, you know, and uh, um, and abdicate responsibility. So uh, I can see how that could be a very big uh, problem. Now, um, I'm trying to think back on when it was. It was again uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, where I remember things shifting with my own profession, uh, which was primarily the human services uh, for over 35 years. And uh, I was thinking at one point of moving out to California, uh, but California, other than having earthquakes and mudslides and uh, coyotes stealing pets and outbreaks (laughs) of uh, uh, black widow spiders, those were all things that were going on that convinced me not to move out there right now or, or then. Uh, and, uh, uh, but one of the things that was a determining factor was that a lot of things that were very well paying and full time with benefits in uh, uh, New York and New Jersey uh, started going part time with no benefits uh, in California. And uh, I figured that I would have to work three jobs just to make the same amount of money uh, and uh, not have any of the benefits that were still being offered in New York. And eventually uh, that became our normal here on the East Coast as well. But it started in uh, in California uh, and it doesn't seem uh, to be relenting at all. It seems that more and more ways are being found uh, to pay you, but then not pay you enough and uh, then not give you the umbrella of protection uh, that uh, uh, 10, 15 years ago you kind of expected uh, to be there. So how can we even begin to start going back to the way things were, not out of a sense of misplaced nostalgia, uh, but because we, we had a very strong economy at the time and people were able to afford things. And uh, um, you know, we lived a much better standard of uh, life. My wife gave me a statistic that in uh, New Jersey, 
uh, over 40% of adults are living with their parents because of this economy. Yes, it is quite unfortunate in that way that things have been getting really bad for quite some time. So the way that we fix it then is to educate and organize people for individuals to understand that the problems that they face in the economy are not unique to themselves, that dealing with these problems is not unique and one should not be ashamed of having to deal with them, that it's quite common. And, you know, one should understand, like, the best situation, best way to manage, you know, your individual career. Some professions are able to be more entrepreneurial than others. Uh, We're networking very good and helping this as is being... Uh, persistent uh, with an employer who might not get back on the first email. That's quite important. For example, regarding payment, uh-huh. understanding one's rights, the difference between a 1099 independent contractor and a W-2 employee, very important. And we also need to organize. You know, people need to join together. You know, one person really isn't that strong compared to five people, for example, compared to 20 people, which is all the stronger. So people really have to understand that and kind of get over the idea of a rugged individual can go it alone. For example, you know, working together, the community as a group, you know, you can Mm -hmm. bring these situations to the, these issues to the forefront, for example, you know, if you start talking to your coworkers, your friends, your, uh, you know, your drinking buddies, baseball buddies, uh, fellow congregants at the uh, church or synagogue or temple, mm-hmm. and speaking to them and, under, and working to understand these issues and working together to, for example, you know, join the AWA where we're seeking to build relationships with people to confront employers, to confront the government to work on these issues. Yes, and uh, I bought into your uh, mission because uh, it's vitally important, uh, the concerns that you have and uh, the fact that you're uh, actively addressing these uh, with any means that are available and always seeking new ways to uh, make a bigger impact and to help uh, more people. Uh, so I'm very honored to be part of uh, uh, this uh, movement that is growing um, and uh, I've started several initiatives on my own. So I know that uh, in the beginning, it's just you and a handful of people. And then you, know, you have to grow it if you're going to continue. Um, and uh, the AWA now is at a point where it needs to uh, grow. So you're offering uh, volunteer opportunities for people uh, that are very uh, intensive in terms of the skill set and the experiences that they're going to be offering to those who are interested. Uh, would you care to share some of the um, types of work that you have available? Yes, we're looking for people who want to get involved in different ways. You know, this is a great opportunity uh, for people to build uh, their skills, for example, in a area that they might want to uh, improve on that could help them you know, in their career or otherwise. So we're looking for people with experience uh, in research on political 
public policy issues. We're looking for people with experience in graphic design, social media experience to help us further get our message out. You know, and we're also, of course, looking for help fundraising, which is an art unto itself. I'm involved, as you know, with the uh, Creskill Public Library, and we're evolving a career center. And there, too, uh, a chunk of our time is uh, taken uh, writing and researching uh, grants uh, and uh, looking for ways of uh, fundraising to um, basically uh, establish what we're doing and then uh, to grow it. So it's it's a nonstop uh, challenge. Uh, but it needs to be done. Otherwise, uh, you just remain kind of like at the talking level, which you know, nobody wants to be there. Yeah, it's quite true. So, you know, we're uh, slowly making progress on that front, you know, working to understand what groups, you know, we can work with and seeking to develop relationships with them and seeking small donations as well to you know, get the momentum going. Uh, speaking of donations, uh, when you're finished with the process of uh, getting your uh, 501, um, Amazon is not Amazon. Yes, Amazon smiles. And uh, on uh, um, Facebook, there's also a way that uh, people can Hercules? involved with the AWA uh, can uh, um, you know, basically every now and then put up a button so that people can uh, donate. Yeah, you know, we're definitely exploring new ways to uh, uh, raise money in that uh, fashion. And we've had some good success with raising money online. And then, there's, of course, there's the barbecue. (laughs) The uh, Elks uh, um, do that uh, every year here in Tenafly, and it's very successful. You know, they they have uh, uh, basically uh, uh, standard American meat uh, food. uh, and uh, people come and uh, they're able to uh, uh, raise some money for you know the good things that they're doing in the community. So I can see us having uh, you know some sort of uh, food event as well, and uh, so people come over, relax, get to uh, know each other better, uh, eat good food, and help the cause. Yeah, absolutely. We're planning to do larger event like that in March. Oh, awesome! That that will be here in, in the blink of an eye. Yeah. So now, um, so you have these opportunities available, and um, can people work out of their home, or do they have to come to uh, an office or to somebody else's home to do the work? No, absolutely. People are able to uh, work from home if they'd like. You know, uh, we're able to communicate via phone, internet. You know, I myself am a big fan of Google Docs where you could have two people working on the same document, you know, hundreds of miles apart. So it's really uh, convenient in that fashion. You know, we do want to meet up with people for different outreach activities, of course. But, yeah, a lot of these things can be done from home as well. So that makes it very handy, uh, and it gets rid of a transportation expense. Uh, and also uh, time becomes very fluid, too, because if you're working from home, uh, you could work on it at any time. Um, last night, I couldn't sleep at all, so I did a good productive four or five hours work <laughs> while everybody else was sleeping. So that was great you know, to be able to do that. Oh, nice. Oh, 
that's uh yeah, a great way uh that people are able to work from home. Now that people like actually about the way the economy is evolving. And it is like mm-hmm. the one catch. There are some benefits that people like, the idea of flexibility. The key is we right. want to give people security as well. So we're working towards different ways to help provide that. Okay. What about people who, uh, business owners who are saying that, uh, um, you know, they have to stay competitive in order to survive uh, and they have to find ways of uh, cutting uh, corners. Uh, we already know that uh, when um, lots of tax breaks were given to employers, very few of them actually uh, passed any of it on to their workforce or you know, invested in their uh, workforce. Uh, so that clearly doesn't work. The trickle-down effect uh, also that is uh, used as justification to um, uh, pay the top uh, and uh, make sure that uh, a majority of the money goes uh, to them, th- that has proven uh, to also not to be uh, a truth, that very little of that money actually trickles down and benefits uh, the lives of the people who uh, made that money. Um, and uh, from what I can understand, from what I see, the divide in society is becoming wider and wider and wider, and the middle class is... Uh, kind of slowly evaporating so that you have the the haves and the have-nots and then a handful of people struggling uh, toward the bottom but in between. Yeah, it's really true, quite unfortunately, the way things are going. That's all the more reason that we need to make this real for people, for them to understand these things that can seem abstract and distant but like really you know, bring it home to them that like, this is why things aren't working out, for example, in a certain situation, and it's why action is needed, mm-hmm. for example, and it's why collective action is especially needed. Now, I like uh, the Green Party's uh, new, the Green New Deal. Um, I, one of my uh, guests, uh, Wendy Getz, uh, basically brought it to my attention as something that I should really uh, focus on. And then other folks did so as well. And there they, they had uh, you know, employment woven into the whole vision where uh, in going green, we're creating a lot of new jobs and we can redefine the workforce and make it more you know, stable and have more of the, uh, of the profits circulating uh, and going to those doing uh, the work. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, so the Green New Deal is an interesting idea being uh, kicked around now. It's been uh, popularized in some part by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So it is Mm -hmm. a good idea, for example, to invest in the infrastructure of our country to make it environmentally sound and for it to be a jobs program. That's the idea of calling it the Green New Deal, that much like the way the New Deal was able to create millions of jobs by improving our infrastructure. Yes, this would do the same, but in an environmentally sound way in order to impart and address climate change. So we do support it. Okay, great. And uh, you're also working on ways that people can be covered uh, through uh, medical insurance. And that 
I like very, very much because uh, the safety net that was there um, is uh, less there, much less there, and always threatened. It seems that uh, daily there are reports of uh, uh, some aspect of the safety net being uh, um, rendered useless or uh, being no longer active. And uh, we live in a country of old folks, and I'm an old folk now, too, so uh, people are living longer, and yet it's becoming more challenging uh, to uh, um, uh, enjoy retirement, and many people I know don't retire anymore. You work until you can no longer work. Yeah, it's become really unfortunate that way that people have to work uh, beyond retirement because wages are stagnating, and they're not making the money that they should be making and that they expected to make because it's uh, widely known that, you know, just for inflation, people were making a lot more money 30 years ago, for example. So it is really bad in that way. And unfortunately, a lot of corporations, you know, they don't want to provide health insurance. They see it as costly. And, you know, we have an alternative in the Affordable Care Act. You know, I do encourage people, to look into it. Unfortunately, the deadline passed uh, for yes. a new plan for this year, but having known that, it's also very difficult to navigate the system unless you have a professional or you've spent a lot of time, for example, reading uh, the individual plans and the fine print there, because you might want the cheap plan, but that might not cover the drugs you need to right. treat a chronic condition which is quite unfortunate. So these are really a lot of issues that are becoming worse and worse. You know, we liked the idea of the Affordable Care Act. It was an improvement on our previous system, but, you know, we have to keep working on this. You know, that's why it was quite unfortunate uh, in the debate over the Affordable Care Act that the idea of the public option was dropped. So we might need something similar to that or, you know, a Medicare Medicare for all, where we expand the eligibility of Medicare. Yes, that that would be a great uh, thing, you know. And uh, um, some had suggested that uh, Obama tried to do this. That the politicians, uh, that's whatever they give to the people, that's what they have to have as well, uh, rather than having. Uh, uh, better health care for themselves and their families. Uh, uh, you know, just basically they have what everybody has. Yeah, it's another one of the uh, serious problems, unfortunately, with the way nature of uh, Congress and government that these individuals from their lofty positions can quite comfortably legislate uh, how others will live and have no idea how these people actually will uh, be affected one way or another, quite often uh, for the worse. And this has been especially true around health care. So one of the things that is the nature of the system that we're seeking to fight here and uh, we have quite a fight uh, before us, but it's it's definitely uh, one worth uh, fighting. Uh, things are very challenging. Um, we can't uh, sit down any longer and just complain at the dinner table. Or <laughs> this is a time for action. This is a time for results. 
So uh, th- these are very exciting times. Yeah, certainly. That's that's kind of the catch right now is that things are getting to a point where people understand these problems and they're getting fed up. And that's the moment when people start uh, waking up, as it were, and wanting to take action. And it's when action is possible and when people are angry, you know, they're looking for an outlet. You know, and we want to provide an outlet for uh, productive people to want to do who want to do something about this so that's what we seek to provide and we do want to change things for the better and we do believe it's possible as do i and again greatly honored to be part of this uh very worthy endeavor uh we are about to launch our uh new segment that goes beyond our conversations called meet the awa and our first uh, AWA member is uh, Sadie Tuanama. Would you care to tell us a little bit about Sadie before we put her on? Yes, yeah, Sadie is an accomplished uh, union organizer, having worked for uh, SEIU 1199 and the retail uh, wholesale department store union. Uh, on behalf of workers, then, she's won many successful campaigns, for example, and she's uh, very experienced working with the uh, Hispanic American community. So since uh, Spanish is her first language, I'll be translating this interview. Okay, fantastic. Uh, So without further ado, um, I welcome Sadie, who's an awesome individual. Greetings, Sadie. How are you? Hey, hello, everybody. Thank you. This is Saidi Tonama for uh, Newark, New Jersey. Well, glad to Hi, have you. Hi, How are you? It's fine. It's good. It's good. I am appreciated for your special time in radio. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, well, you're very welcome here. Where you go? I'm, I'm glad you're on. I'm looking forward to having you on uh, again. Um, now, uh, I've seen you in action. Uh, at uh, uh, labor parade and uh, at various meetings over the uh, um, uh, online, and uh, you know also uh, we've had several uh, email or personal message uh, conversations. And you're very passionate about what you do. How did you get into uh, the type of work that you're doing? How what life path led you to be doing this? ¿Cómo empezaste este tipo de trabajo? Oh, un día estoy mirando en el periódico en Long Island y este me acerqué a una agencia de trabajo y yo entendí que yo estaba como calificada con todas las exigencias que ellos solicitaban. Well, I was looking okay. for a job. I was living on Long Island at the time. Sadie was saying, and she found a position that uh, met for her qualifications that was in this type of work. Dieciocho uh, años atrás, tuve la oportunidad de trabajar para una jubilada, una maestra jubilada, y ella me presentó a las personas idóneas del sindicato, ILEVENITINAYESIAYU. Yeah, I had the opportunity to work for a great teacher who introduced me to uh, union leaders. And what 
in this resonated strongly with her? What told her this is what I'm meant to do? Well, Kat Gustav said that's the three people did trabajo. Oh, porque, bueno, las personas necesitan um, tomarse su tiempo, informarse, aprender. Nunca es tarde para aprender. Y eso es uno de mis de mi mentora que me ha motivado a, a comunicar a otros, a las trabajadoras de cuidado de salud. Son las home health care. So I really uh, enjoyed working with... Uh my boss, who was like my mentor, who told me it was never too late to learn, and we did a lot of great work with uh, home health care workers, for example, understanding their needs. I worked with home health care workers back in the uh, uh, 1980s, um, and uh, uh, back then there was uh, no... Uh, uh, training, uh, no uh, um, qu- you know qualifications. They weren't making a lot of uh, money, um, and uh, it, that changed over time. First, they started training uh, the home attendants. Uh, then the home attendants started getting organized. So, uh, we, when did she get into that particular um, struggle with the home attendants? Cuando empezaste trabajando con las personas en home healthcare. Um, bueno, este en el 2000, este en el 2000 inicié eh, trabajando, este organizándolas uh, para que ellas se reúnan. Uh, siempre estuvimos deseosos de que estas personas trabajadoras de cuidado de salud, este aprendan sus derechos laborales, sus derechos humanos y los beneficios que por ley corresponde a las trabajadoras sin importar su estatus migratorio. Okay, so around the year uh, 2000, Sadie began working on these issues, organizing uh, home health care workers, educating them about their rights in terms of civil rights as well as their labor rights and, you know, helping them understand their uh, benefits. I'm so glad that that continued because uh, um, they were really, uh, you know, in a very difficult uh, uh, position and uh, I, I'm glad that uh, there are folks that are still meeting their needs and you know, making sure that uh, uh, they are compensated for all the wonderful work that they do, because that, that is very hard work, what they do. No, ese trabajo difícil ellos hacen, entonces es muy bueno que ellos están ganando más plata y tienen más beneficios. Sí, estas trabajadoras están, este, usualmente son 12 horas de trabajo y las agencias no les pagaban holidays, six days, vacaciones pagadas, eh, no tenían un contrato de trabajo. Los tomaban, los utilizaban eh, un par de meses y después los eh, se deshacían de ellas. Y cuando tienen una representación sindical, como es la unión, entonces ellos alzan su voz, reclaman juntos eh, aumento de salario, y para todo eso es una negociación, se hace un contrato, ¿no? Eso es lo que la, la unión y las organizaciones eh, deben promover a las familias trabajadoras, que se eduquen, que aprendan y que toquen la puerta, que se unan a las organizaciones que existen, que no están solas. So, a lot of these healthcare workers were working some 12 hours a day. They didn't have benefits, nor were they getting paid uh, vacations, nor sick days, so... You know, it's really great to uh, 
unionize them, for example, and help them understand, you know, their benefits and uh, spreading the word on that. Okay, great. Um, and uh, Sadie, you had said, is also very active in the Hispanic community. What type of work is she doing in the Hispanic community? ¿Cuál tipo de trabajo haces en la comunidad hispana? Um, organizándolos, eh, enseñándolos sus derechos laborales, eh, que no se dejen robar el salario, eh, que como eh, eh, también en las, en las librerías de diferentes ciudades, ese es uno de los planes eh, medianos eh, y grandes que uno debe eh, continuar. ¿Un plan de qué? El plan de informar, de enseñar a los trabajadores eh, que aprendan sus derechos eh, laborales, que no se dejen robar okay. su salario. Sadie so, does similar work, educating, organizing individuals, uh, teaching them about their rights, and trying to address the issue of wage theft, which is uh, unfortunately quite prevalent, whereby employers withhold wages. So she's very uh, passionate about addressing that. Okay, good. So you're quite the warrior, Sadie, going out there and uh, really helping people and standing up for them. I salute you. Oh, ella, ella gusta el trabajo que tú haces. Tú es como un uh, eh, caballero, por ejemplo, sí. una gorila. Sí. Sí, soy una strong woman porque trabajo como ellas 12 horas eh, bajo la intensidad de lluvia o el snow o en el summer porque esas trabajadoras necesitan eh, informarse y necesitan aprender que organizados se puede lograr un mejor contrato de trabajo, un mejor beneficio a través del trabajo que realizan, que es bastante fuerte. Sí, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a strong woman, por ejemplo, I myself have worked. 12 hours a day in rain, snow, and the heat of summer, really educating these workers about their uh, rights uh, because it's really needed because they really can benefit, for example, from a union contract. And uh, I'm looking forward to Sadie uh, educating uh, the people listening to the show. Uh, currently as we're live and then later on as it's archived uh, and, you know, slowly educating them as well, because I found that uh, most uh, people that I've spoken to who are uh, workers uh, are not aware of these things. So uh, uh, the task uh, before us is uh, monumental, but at, le at least it's being uh, addressed. Educación que tú haces porque es muy importante hacerlo porque muchos de los trabajadores no saben eh, sus eh, derechos. Eh, sí, eh, bueno, es eh, cierto, a mí no me gusta la injusticia. Eh, todas las familias este, eh, que trabajan es por una necesidad y necesitan ellos cubrir sus eh, viles en, en el hogar. Y ese es uno de los, eh, de, la, de los puntos que a mí me motiva. Ok, sí, es cierto. Muchas gracias eh, por apreciar mi trabajo, que es bastante fuerte. <laughs> sí, 12 horas, every day. Yeah, thank you. You know, I don't, I don't like injustice that I see where you have families really struggling to uh, cover the bills that they have. 
which is uh, quite unfortunate. So thank you for your kind words. Uh, they're well earned. Um, now, how did you get involved with uh, the uh, AWA? Como empezaste con el AWA? Okay. Eh, bueno, eh, un día este, la catedrática eh, retirada eh, me llevó a un, a un miri de retirados y yo era su eh, dama de compañía, la que utiliza, eh, manejaba su carro para llevarle a esa reunión y le, le acompañé hasta en la mesa que le correspondía y me presentó a los sindicalistas. Um, en el cual ellos le gustó mi forma de ser, mi educación y tenía como las ganas de poder hacer algo, un cambio por la comunidad latina. Y me invitaron a ser parte de ellos, a ser miembros de Eleven Nine y tuve la oportunidad de, no, la, de tomar... La pregunta es, lo siento, pero la pregunta es, ¿cómo empezaste con American Workforce Association con mí, oh. Oh, oh, perdón, uh, sí. Uh, bueno, American Workforce Association es un joven este, en, el, en la industria. Eh, me gusta eh, ser parte de, él, de de American Workforce Association porque sus objetivos es también ayudar a la gran comunidad, a las familias trabajadoras, um, enseñándolos eh, sus derechos eh, cuando son eh, técnicos calificados. Eh, no importa en qué... Eh, eh, gama o en qué sector del trabajo se encuentran las personas. Las personas están eh, sin información y no están organizados. Hay millones de personas, de familias trabajadoras a que necesitan esta información. Y yo estoy eh, feliz, estoy, conten estoy contenta y estoy eh, como me siento con un uh, honor de ser parte de America Workforce Association. Fabuloso. So, Sadie likes that, uh, you know, it's a young organization, for example, and that we're seeking to go do good work helping families that are struggling, that really need the help, for example, helping them educate this. And she has a great background working with the SEIU 1199, so it really makes sense in that way. But I believe we were actually introduced by our friend, Roberto Sayers. And what does, um, Sadie, what do you consider uh, to be uh, the best direction for the AWA to be moving in? Like, what do you consider the top priority right now? ¿Qué piensas que es la cosa que debemos estar haciendo ahora? Ah, bueno, ahora estamos enfocados en la campaña del el 15 dólares mínimo wage por hora este, y queremos, estamos iniciando en el estado de Nueva Jersey y también estamos eh, coordinando con nuestras amistades este, en Nueva York. Eh, la idea es poder crecer nacionalmente, hacer un movimiento en la nación, eh, concientizando a, a todas las familias trabajadoras que se unan um, a nuestra organización porque cuanto más juntos uh, podemos estar y podemos uh, tener un mejor beneficio para uh, nosotros las familias trabajadoras. So right now we're working on the uh, campaign for uh, 15 an hour and we're contacting our friends not only in New Jersey but also in New York as we prepare to grow our organization uh, across the country for example, because we are, of course, uh, stronger together and benefit 
by working together. Of course. Um, one of our other uh, guests, uh, Wendy Getz, uh, and one of our hosts, uh, Astrid, uh, they keep on top of the legislation uh, and they uh, send out like notices uh, privately, but I've been posting a lot of them. So if there's any legislation that uh, you feel that people should be calling their uh, congressmen and their senators about, um, or if there's any uh, information that uh, people should be aware of, uh, if you send that to me, I'll gladly uh, distribute it by w- whatever channels I have and you know, raise some awareness uh, in that way. Si hay un, si hay un legislación, legislación o información que tú quieres uh, compartir con mi comunidad, por favor, mándeme esta información, entonces yo puedo uh, compartirlo. Eh, sí, excelente. Nuestro website, nuestro, este, en nuestro teléfono y nuestras locaciones, tanto en Newark, en New Brunswick y probablemente en, New, en Bergen County, que tenemos, este, estamos moviendo. Uh, eh, estamos deseosos que las personas uh, firmen, apoyen esta, esta petición eh, para nosotros poder um, eh, trabajar eh, solicitando el apoyo a los legisladores. Ya estuvimos en dos, tres ocasiones en Trenton. Eh, también tuvimos la oportunidad de estar con el gobernador Phil Murphy, que él está muy contento con nuestro proyecto y deseoso que esto continúe. ¿no? Así que, bueno, tenemos el apoyo eh, de la comunidad y estamos deseosos que se sigan uniendo más trabajadores. Eh, bueno, estamos abiertos al a apoyo. Oh, thank you. You know, we've been working hard to uh, gain support across the state, uh, for example. We've been lobbying in Trenton. We met with uh, Governor Phil Murphy, who seemed that he uh, was supportive of our desire to help and educate uh, precarious workers. Yeah, and we're continuing to seek support from the community to be able to do this type of work. Eh, tenemos 780 miembros de America World Force Association y necesitamos que se unan más, definitivamente. Todos son bienvenidos. Diga esa, dos más. Eh, sí, bueno, quería este, eh, dejarles saber a nuestra audiencia que es, eh, tenemos 780 miembros um, para America World Force Association y estamos invitando a que se sigan uniendo a nuestra organización, que es la organización de la comunidad. Oh, yes, we have about uh, 780 members in our Facebook group, and we certainly invite all members of the audience to uh, join us and uh, so we can work together for the better. I will definitely make a, a notation and provide uh, the links again. And uh, um, I was thinking, as uh, Sadie was speaking, my Spanish is very rusty. I, I'm not even going to attempt it. Mi español es muy pobre ahora. But I used to be very fluent. Uh, so uh, uh, Sadie's inspiring me to uh, maybe revisit my Spanish and learn to speak it uh, again. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, um, came to my mind as she was uh, talking is that uh, – um, it is needed uh, to have this information in a variety of languages uh, to uh, accommodate uh, uh, a lot of uh, people, and people who don't uh, speak English well would have a more difficult time. 
uh, accessing, uh, you know, what is offered and available to them out there. So maybe we should build that into the career center, um, you know, to have uh, um, presentations not only in English, but in other languages as well. Él dice que hablando con tú, él necesita mejor su español. Eh, además, es importante tener esta información sobre derechos a trabajadores en otros idiomas de inglés. Sí. Y tal vez sí. debemos tener presentaciones en su biblioteca en otros idiomas. Sí. Sí, cierto. Nosotros, bueno, eh, tenemos los, los amigos de Alliance eh, Justice for Immigrants. Eh, este, estoy como también con el viento del espíritu, Make and Roll, e eh, incluso con Ilevenaidinayesayu, eh, este y este la International International Union que es RWDSU conversando eh, para una conversación eh, eh, quizás de entre amigos y de apoyo. Yeah, we've been uh, talking and working with our uh, allies, such as the uh, Alliance for Immigrant uh, Justice, uh, Make the Road in New Jersey, uh, Wind of the Spirit, SEIU 1199, and uh, RWDSU Union, uh, because they're really great, you know, spreading this information in Spanish, and, you know, we're working on some of the same broad economic justice causes. Oh, that is that is awesome. Yeah, I know you guys are very active, and you're you're always uh, uh, the times our paths cross uh, in uh, the virtual meetings. More and more is being brought to the table, and um, you're forming a very uh, effective network. So uh, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, I'm in contact. I'm in contact. It's the Formando un network muy fuerte de alianzas. Yes, sí, sí. Eso es lo que estamos tratando de hacer. Um, eh, America Workforce Association es una organización joven y necesita el apoyo eh, de todos nuestros amigos y de nuestras este, organizaciones que yo conozco y también con el FLCO. Ya es, hemos tenido un contacto acercándonos y probablemente haya más apoyo. Uh, nos van a ver muy pronto este, en nuestra labor eh, cotidiana con nuestros botones en, haciendo peticiones en algunos lugares del trabajo muy pronto yeah, so thank you you know we're working very hard to uh, develop these uh, alliances and relationships working on these good issues that we do need support from our allies to be able to do this type of work. You know, we're in the talk, talks as well with uh, the AFL-CIO of uh, New Jersey. So, yeah, we're continuing to do that as we uh, petition at uh, different areas around the state. Awesome. And, Sadie, what would you see, like, if, if you can create the best possible future uh, for the people that uh, you're helping, what would that future be like? Si puedes uh, hacer un futuro lo más mejor por los trabajadores que tú estás uh, tratando de ayudar, uh, dígame este tipo de futuro. El futuro de los trabajadores que juntos eh, sí podemos lograr eh, lo que queremos, aumentos de salario, respeto en el trabajo y mayores beneficios eh, laborales. 
para un mejor bienestar del trabajador y de sus familias. You know, working together, you know, we're able to unite and, you know, help people get better salaries, better benefits, respect at work, which is very important to people, uh, so that they're able to support their families. Very noble goals, indeed. And again, thank you, Sadie, for uh, uh, being so active on everybody's behalf. Me gusta las cosas que tú, que tú estás haciendo. Muchas gracias por uh, el trabajo que tú haces. Oh, muchas gracias. Un honor. Muchísimas gracias. Y pues hasta una próxima oportunidad. Eh, bienvenidos a American Workforce Association. Everybody. <laughs> okay, buenas noches. Thank you very much. You know, it's a great okay. honor to be speaking here. You know, I invite everyone to become a part of the American Workforce Association. Now, I have put links on uh, Facebook uh, to your Facebook, to Sadie's Facebook, to the American Workforce Association's uh, group, the one that has over 700 uh, members, and also to your website. Is there anything else you would like me to put a uh, link to? And su página, el pone nuestro link de Facebook uh, personal y el grupo uh, y oh, el website. Oh, excelente. Uh, sí, oh. ahora mismo lo estoy mirando. <ríe> estoy aquí eh, automatizado. Sí, eh, muchas gracias, Hércules, eh, por la oportunidad de transmitir a las comunidades. En general, todos estamos este, deseosos de poder ayudar a nuestra comunidad que necesita justicia económica. Necesita hacerse presente. Acción eh, no es una simple palabra. Acción es... Eh, estar juntos en un solo objetivo de ser beneficiados eh, con nuestros eh, mejores salarios, eh, poder tener una vida en familia este, eh, de bienestar. Gracias y buenas yeah. noches. Buenas Thank noches. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> That's hard. I didn't catch the rest, but that part I caught. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for uh, putting the word out there. You know, we're... Uh, fighting uh, very hard for economic just, uh, justice for all. You know, action is important. It's not just a word uh, that we say. So you know, we do invite everybody to help us out. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, my pleasure and my honor. Uh, and we will do this again uh, very soon. Okay, gracias. Thank oh, you very much. Gracias. Gracias, Dani, por la transmisión en inglés, ¿ok? Para mí. Uh, muchísimas gracias y pues hasta una próxima oportunidad. Gracias. Buenas noches, everybody. Buenas noches. And Dan, do you have any last uh, words to add uh, before we sign off? So I'll say for a few last words, you know, we are fighting for economic justice for all, uh, for everybody. For example, uh, that times might be hard, but Things will uh, look better when we work together. Um, amen to that. And uh, thank you very much, Dan, for being on tonight and for translating. And uh, I look forward to our speaking again very soon. No, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you soon. Uh, happy holiday season. Happy New Year to you and your loved ones. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Good bless you, everybody. Okay, gracias. Buenas noches. Bye-bye.
Bye-bye. We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back for uh, the second part of our show. We'll we'll be looking at vocation and identity with Linda Marciniak and later on uh, Ron uh, Carson.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. Uh, the first half of our show focused on the AWA um, and the wonderful work they're doing for all who labor for a living to try to create a better life for themselves and their loved ones. Uh, the second part of our show will focus on vocation and identity. Um, one of the things I've done uh, during the course of my life was uh, work in vocational rehabilitation. And uh, there I learned that uh, many people define who they are uh, based on what they do for a living. And we're now living through uh, transitional times, through times of transformation, through times of uncertainty. So what we do for a living is not as established as it once was. And uh, I'm noticing uh, as I speak with people that uh, their identity is threatened uh, and they're reacting in a variety of ways. And uh, Linda, um, welcome to uh, the Elysium Project. Oh, well, thank you, Hercules. Thanks for inviting me. Now, you're still in the human services. I haven't really been in the human services for a number of years now, but you're still very actively involved uh, uh, with helping people and uh, a variety of their uh, problems, uh, ranging from medical to social to psychological. Uh, do you see that in your work? Do I see what in my work? Um Basically, because of the uncertainties of the marketplace, of our economy, uh, because of the unavailability of many of the uh, types of jobs that people did that helped define them, that uh, they're facing a, a crisis in identity. Well, and I, know, I don't even know if it's so much as the fact that the, you know, the jobs have morphed, but the whole construct uh, between the employee and the employer has morphed you know gone are the days where you know loyalty in the workplace paid off and if you were a good employee you know um you rose through the ranks you were you know you were recognized you were rewarded there was um there was some level of stability um in knowing that you know you could potentially retire you know from this particular job you know, now it's all about being, if you will, um, the phrase is an employee of will. And so employers have really started to kind of erode away the concept of, I think, um, the importance of loyalty because I don't mm -hmm. know that the, that, that the worker has that feeling, that sense of loyalty coming at them, and it was very dis disconcerting, you know, um, especially, you know, and, and there's a lot to be said for this, right? So the millennials kind of approach work very differently. They take what they need from a particular um, career opportunity, and then they move on. They morph rather quickly. The expectation is that in their lifetime they could have anywhere from four to five professions or vocations and you know they they have a whole concept of kind of work-life balance and self um more highly evolved than folks of my generation in the workforce um you know who were still kind of looking for that gold watch at the end of the of the trail um you know that kind of thing and and i think employers really today 
are um, I, I think they're they're becoming a little bit opportunistic around that whole concept. You know, I mean, they recognize that you know folks that that want jobs that want careers um, are probably outweighing the number of jobs and careers that are out there. And I, I really feel to some extent that they, they're taking advantage of that. And, it, you know, it erodes your confidence. It erodes your sense of um, kind of being able to settle in and know that, you know, through good times and bad, that you are going to be employed in, in this particular job. And I think that definitely um, plays a role in, you know, impacting the psyche and the the choices that people make for themselves today. Those are very good points. And uh, I'm old enough to have experienced for much of my career uh, that, uh, um, you know, even though, again, employers, uh, even in the nonprofit sector, the bottom line was uh, very important and always was a consideration, uh, you did feel or I did feel, and many others also felt, a sense of, of belonging to a community um, or belonging to a profession. And uh, either the employer or the profession would, you know, like you said, would provide you with ladders to climb and uh, levels to reach and uh, titles uh, uh, and perks to attain. Uh, and uh, now some are calling what we're in a gig economy. And I see a lot of the things I do as gigs. You know, they're they're for a few hours here and there. They're mostly uh-huh. uh, temporary. Some are for like a few months uh, and a bunch of days. Uh, some aren't. So uh, it really depends on, uh, you know, if you're good, you get a reputation and then people want you and you can negotiate uh, things um, like in the good old days. Uh, but that stability, as you pointed out, is no longer there. And, uh, right, right. Uh, and and it does become uh, okay. You know what am I getting out of this? You know where is this going to take me, or what is this going to provide for me? Uh, and asking that question on a much more frequent uh, basis than it was asked before. Uh, before people left if they were ambitious or if they were unhappy. Uh, now it seems that people know they're going to leave. So uh, it's you know what am I doing now, and why am I doing it? Well, I, I think well, I, I think, think the I way think that this is all this happening is, all is happening, it, it encourages people to to kind of bail. You know, it's that whole concept where if if you've got that in the back of your mind that you are expendable, mm-hmm. um, then you know you're going to want to be the one. You're going to want to leave on your terms. So right. I think you know. I think it breeds that whole kind of gig mentality that you're talking about. I mean, it had to start somewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think once you get that in your head, once you've had the experience of either going through it uh, yourself or watching, you know, people in your peer group go through it, that, you know, easy come, easy go, and, and you know, you could be gone tomorrow um, regardless of the accolades that they bestowed on you today, um, I, I think people then adapt and start to think about that themselves, you know, because if I'm going to go, I want it to be on my terms, not yours, because I want to be able to build my my credibility up for this next 
step in the journey. I don't want to have to be explaining, um, you know, a risk, a reduction in force, or, you know, I don't want to explain that I've been let go. I'd rather explain that, you know, our paths are no longer one and I've moved on for, you know, because I want more right. creative stimulation in my in my career, that kind of thing. Um, and so it just keeps spiraling around. I think the other thing that it's done is really, um, you know, it's forced folks that may tend to be more sedentary beings, right? The you know the lifers, as it were. You know, I want to get that job, and I'm and I'm I'm willing to settle to stay in this job because of the stability it gives me. Um, and I'll, you know, the benefits outweigh the risks in, in those kind of, you know, mentalities. It's, it's kind of forced these folks to really think about multiple streams of income. You know, and I'm one of those people, um, uh-huh. you know, where I'm constantly now mindful of the fact that, you know, 27 years in with the same employer used to be an accolade. That used yes. to be something that you stood you stood on with pride, and employers today are looking at that almost as a form of stagnation. You know, mm-hmm. like there's no there's obviously no growth for you if you've been if you've been happy in the same job you've been in in, in 27 years. So, um, you know, so you start thinking, well, I have to have a fallback plan. I have to have something else I can do do quickly um, so that I don't lose. You know the foundation, my financial foundation that I've built. And and I don't know that that's a very healthy way for us to, you know, develop a, uh, a workforce. I don't, I don't think it's a healthy way for people to approach, you know, where they spend a majority of their time. Well, the, the lifers, I, I was never very good at staying in one place. Uh, uh, maybe in the same institution, but not in the same post. Uh, and uh, my average was like uh, uh, three to five years that I would stay if I if I liked the place. If I didn't like it, uh, you know, it would be like a year or a year and a half, you know, depending on what the position was. Um, but uh, some people stayed there forever and they provided uh, stability. And uh, as right. you had mentioned before, stability is very important to, to a lot of uh, people. And uh, in times like this that are very tumultuous and unpredictable, uh, even I am, <laughs> what do you call it, uh, looking for uh, some degree of certainty and stability. Uh, and uh, the employment uh, um, setting used to provide that once upon a time. But you're, you're right. Now it does no longer provide it. Now there is not uh, a, a very strong incentive uh, in many employment situations uh, to be faithful, to hang in there, to, you know, have uh, loyalty uh, and to weather uh, the changes because that same amount of uh, faith and loyalty is not extended back towards you. Um, I remember right. in some of the places when where I was uh, working, uh, you know, that all of a sudden they'd get rid of middle managers or, or something. So no level was safe. It wasn't, uh, again, like in the old days where they would, um, you know, start with the lowest level workers and the people, you know, who, uh, who uh, um, hadn't put in a lot of time. Now you don't know, you know, uh, what's right. going to be considered expedient or important. And, and that's it. The, the life you created, the profession you've uh, uh, been following 
uh, are no longer there to give back to you, you know, what you've given into the system. Well, and I think the other the other shift that that I see, Hercules, is that you know more and more companies are relying on outside influences to determine their um, their process and their practice. And what I mean by that is, you see these companies hiring these consultants for lots and lots of money to come swooping in, gather a, a modicum of data present, you know, the plan, and then they collect their money and leave. I mean, right. back in the old days, right, like when you and I were first starting out, it, you know, the the, the brainstorming was done internally. Right. You know, the, the ideas for change were grown, homegrown from within the organization because at that time the expectation and the understanding was that, you know, your employees were the ones that knew best how your process um, could be improved upon. And the folks that actually were in the jobs were seen as, um, you know, what we now call content experts. But the reality is now, you know, companies throw a lot of money at these external consultants that come in and tout themselves based on their track record of how they've improved all the other companies before them. And they're relying on them to be like, um, you know, the big data content experts. So, okay, Uh maybe my employees, maybe my employees are the experts at what we're doing, but I'm going to hire this guy to come in because, they're the expert on the world market and how the world market is doing because they have all of these exotic experiences that are outside of, you know, um, the more provincial experience that we're having in my own company. And, you know, there's a, there's a big toll that, that is taken on the workforce when these folks come in because it, it, it really does um, undermine the perception that, you know, your own people have of themselves. You know, folks like to take pride in creating something that is of merit for themselves yeah. and ultimately for their employers. You know, this, is, this goes all the way back to pleasing mom and dad. You know, it's the same dynamic. We just spend our whole lives, you know, offering up our best to, you know, somebody who we've identified as, you know, wanting recognition from. So now as adults, we shift that relationship to our employers. And, you know, when they hire these people from outside to come in and make recommendations, you know, what's the the underlying implication? You know, what is it saying to the worker themselves, you know? Um, and, and it's it's that it's that kind of thing that that really I think is eroding the very foundation of trust that um, used to uh, exist between employee and employer. And they talk to the employees uh, also, uh, and a lot of times they will present uh, 
uh, suggestions that were offered by employees or would have been oh, offered right. by, you know, by employees right. who, who know the circumstances and know the situation and uh, uh, have right. dealt with uh, uh, whatever challenges are operationally for for a length right. of time. Right. Right. And it's and it's you know I mean. It's a do as I say, not as I do kind of marketplace right now, right? So um, employers, you know, are saying, you know, we've got to cut back. We've got to do more with less. We have to tighten the bottom line. We have to be mindful. And then they go out and they hire these very expensive consultant firms Mm -hmm. to come in and, you know, make recommendations for how um, the company can be improved upon. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, I, you know, I can't spend money on pencils, right? I'm just making this mm-hmm. up. But, you know, I've, I have to cut back on my paper budget by 20% this year. You know, that's what I've, I've committed to do as, as one of my um, performance improvement projects. But meanwhile, you've got consultant firms that are coming in, and every presentation they make, they print out multiple copies of this high-gloss magazine-quality reports that ultimately wind up either left on the boardroom table or dropped in the shredder. In the garbage, yeah. So, I mean, how is it that I have to, you know, account for every ream of paper that I use, but you can hire these folks who don't have to do that. And it's just that double standard that's really, yeah, it's mind-blowing. Um, and, and, again, you know, when we look at the actual, you know, the, the impact that it has, most people aren't going to challenge that in the workplace because they know they're expendable. They know there's no loyalty. They know that they are, quote-unquote, employees of will and by throwing that phrase out there it really allows the employer carte blanche to be able to you know terminate at will reduce the workforce um you know it's just it's a very unhealthy situation i feel um and it also pits you know it it pits loyal employees against one another because to your point, you know, when that ax starts swinging, people are going to turn on each other. People are going to start talking trash. People are going to start, you know, pulling out all the dirt just to save themselves because, you know, you have the potential to, to destroy somebody's life by eliminating their position. And, um, you know, it, it's just that kind of thing. And so um, I think it has a very real impact on people, but it's um, it's a slow internal smolder. And I, I'm guessing that, you know, most of that fallout is is experienced by the folks in in people's personal lives rather than the employer. You know, this is these are the, you know, these are the situations where somebody walks in the door and literally kicks the dog um, because they've been holding it in all day and now they're in their sanctuary, they're in their safe place and everything that they didn't get to, to say 
all of that assertive behavior they didn't get to kind of put out there all day is going to, you know, be unleashed on the people that they feel safest with. And that's, you know, normally the family. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, the guests that we had on uh, before this segment for the first half of the show, uh, they're part of the American Workforce Association, and it's a nascent uh, labor organization uh, that's trying to uh, become something that uh, affords like employment protections uh, in this age uh, where uh, uh, basically there are less and less and less. You know, there are opportunities. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting opportunities, which uh, I'm drawing attention to as well. Uh, some of these places are going to be recruiting in the career center that uh, we're setting up. But uh, so there are there are opportunities there. It's just you can't think like you thought before in terms of what you're looking for. Uh, you're looking for uh, ways to make money uh, and do something that will uh, you know either make enough money for you or uh, give you some sort of satisfaction or further your career in some way. Uh, but it, it's almost a mercenary. Uh, it's almost oh. like being a pirate or, or something, you know, you, uh, Brian, I was just going to say that take every, you know, take what you want and leave nothing, you know, leave nothing behind because you don't know, um, you know, how long you're going to be, um, you know, in that role. Yeah. Right. So in order for someone to navigate uh, these vocational uh, challenges uh, and uh, remain uh, centered as much as possible throughout them, what would you recommend? Well, I think, I think first of all, you have to take an honest self uh, inventory of yourself. I think the first uh-huh. step to this is to know, um, what you can and cannot tolerate in terms of um, the possibility of instability. Now, when I was starting in social services, and I'm sure probably when you were there too, Hercules, there was a choice you had to make, right? When you went for a job, you had to decide, you know, were you going to apply for granted positions, right? Mm-hmm. Because yep. we all knew that if you took a job that was a you know a granted position that there was going to be a hard stop to that position and so yes. one of the first things that you would hear about in the interview was the length of time that the grant was funded for and mm-hmm. what their you know what the options were and what they were hoping to gain during that period of time that may prolong your tenure in that role, if they could get, you know, if it was a school, if they could get the the school board to buy in, if it was a hospital, if they could get the hospital to buy in, to to pick up that position on a more um, permanent Permanent. basis. Yeah. So, but you had to know when you went into a job like that, that, um, you know, within two years, within three years, whatever that grant was for, that you could potentially be hitting the sidewalk. So right. when you went for your for your job interview, you had to decide up front, you know, am I the kind of person that can can I exist like that? You know, do I am I gonna be able to get past, you know, the worry cycle about this? 
or is this going to, you know, keep me up at night and I'm just not even going to be good at the job for the two or three years that I have it because I'm so consumed with the fact that I have to find something else in two or three years. And so the first thing you have to do really is you have to be aware of what the marketplace is all about now, um, right. how transient, you know, how transient it is. And then you have to make some choices for yourself. You know, how, how can you approach this with some level of sanity? What, you know, what are the basic elements that you need to be able to feel successful at the job that you are, um, that you are going to do for however long you're going to have to do, you're going to get to do it. And then you also have to be open to, to lifelong learning. Right. You know, you have to, you have to be open to the fact that you're going to have to reinvent yourself. Um, and much like you, Hercules, I, I evolved within the organization. So I've had many roles in the 27 years that I am with my current employer um, because whenever an opportunity came up for me to kind of either advance um, laterally or um, longitudinally, you know, I would do mm-hmm. it be- right. because, you know, I would grow bored too, but at least I had the stability of not having to change my insurance and my pension and all this kind of stuff. And so you have to kind of, you have to be thinking ahead, you know, who am I now and who do I want to become? What do I have to start putting in place now? You know, what can I get, you know, from my current employer that may help support me in the next role I'm seeking? And maybe that's going to be something like, um, tuition reimbursement, you right. know, mm-hmm. maybe it's, it's career inva- advancement in the form of going back to school and getting, you know, your degree, your additional degree paid for by your employer. Um, you know, and unfortunately it, we've reached the end of our, our conversation, um, but oh, uh, so we, sorry. Yeah, we, we barely scratched the surface. Um, I put links to your uh, Facebook page and to the Dragon. Are there any other links you would like me to, to share? No, I, I think no, that would be great, Hercules. Thank you so much. And thank you so much. I, I enjoy our conversation so very much, and uh, it's very refreshing to talk uh, with someone from you know, again, what I consider still deep inside is my, my profession. Uh, thank you. You've taken me down a stroll down memory lane, and you've, you, you've reawakened several uh, connections that uh, I used to have but uh, haven't had in a while. So now my brain is sparking with new possibilities. So I thank you for that, uh, Linda. Happy birthday to the Druid, and uh, happy oh, holiday you. season, and happy new year. Thank you, and blessed be to you and Athena as well. Blessed be. And uh, now we're going to listen to uh, Bone Poet Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Ron Carson.
Hercules Invictus, and you're listening to the Elysium Project. Our next guest has not yet called in, so I'm going to play Brand Tridorian's King of Dreams.
This is Hercules Invictus, and you're listening to the Elysium Project. Our next guest is Ron Carson uh, of Ron Carson's Coliseum here on our Peplum show. Uh, and tonight he's generously sharing with us uh, from his uh, personal experiences as a radio personality. Now, um, I've known you your whole life, and uh, you um, have known what you wanted to be from, uh, I'd say, at least since you were three. Uh, would Correct. you characterize this accurate? And uh, you used to have a radio, and you used to put together shows, and uh, we did that together for a while. Um, and uh, you pursued that single-mindedly, uh, and you've overcome every single obstacle in your path. You've had some remarkable mentors who you've spoken about on the show. Um, and now we are increasingly living in um, a society where the work values that were instilled in us, the work values that defined our, our careers, are no longer as um, active or stressed as they once were, and yet you still heroically uh, cling on to uh, your uh, chosen passion, your purpose, and your uh, profession. That must be very difficult. Well, let me tell you something, uh, Hercules. You know, I'm not only saying this because we're, you know, related, and uh-huh. being that you have history with me, uh, the bottom line is that. My goal in life is if you love something, you stick with it and you do it. Because right. you only have one, you know, chance in this world to do what you need to do. And the purpose of my life ever since I was a youngster when I got my first transistor radio at age three was I knew that I was going to become a radio personality at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. And I did get mentored by some of New York City's best. I unfortunately now am not... Uh, at the level of all these people who I considered and consider great friends in my life and inspirations and have taught me very well on what to do in this business because obviously things have changed, like you said, drastically in every workforce whatsoever in the so-called 21st century. But what I still take out of this, I instill the values that they all taught me on what to do in order to make myself adaptable and listenable to my audience. I mean, I think I found the perfect niche up in Great Barrington, Massachusetts right now. I've been here at WSBS for over two years, ever since I walked into this building, and I did without even a job interview or a resume or sending a demo tape. I just got in cold, and I sold myself to my bosses, and they hired me a month after said appointment because they saw how passionate I was. And when the right. new company, Town Square, took over, they saw also, when we were introducing each other to everybody in the uh, new company that bought us last year, one of the uh, associates goes, points to me and says, I love your passion. I really love your passion. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't have made it possible without having this passion. And like I said, you basically go with the flow and you say to yourself, what would you rather do in life? Have a mundane job that brings you a so-called paycheck and keeps you financially stable and then you hate getting up every morning and going to work or going into a job that even though it doesn't give you royalties every week 
monetarily, the rewards are just, you know, infinite in more ways than one. Because I never did this to be my own entertainer. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like there are a lot of people in this radio business that, you know, attach themselves to a so-called ego. Uh, Harry Harrison, one of my dearest mentors of all time, who is also still with us and also lives in New Jersey too, um, said to me one time that you're not in this to entertain yourself, Ron. You're in this to entertain an audience, and you have to hook them from start from the start, and then eventually, if they see that you're just doing this for yourself, they'll tune you out. And if you noticed, Harry Harrison made a name for himself as one of the most established morning men in the New York market with three different radio stations in his career. Yes. And I basically followed his uh, advice, you know, along with the same advice that that Ron Lundy, Dan Ingram, Cousin Brucie gave me, that uh, I learned when I interned at WHN through some of country music's best uh, personalities, including Del DeMontro, Lee Arnold, uh, news director Gene Ladd. I mean, the... the the list goes on and on, but these people I look up to to this day, and they basically taught me everything I needed to know in this business, and mm-hmm. it gave me the opportunity to say, hey, you're not making money, but you're doing something that you like, and that, to me, is more of a blessing than anything, because down the road, eventually, maybe a monetarily... Uh, appropriate position would possibly come into the picture. But I'm not worried about it yet. I think I found my niche here in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. Being that I worked in the same market, you know, my knowledge of this market also got me this job because over 20 years earlier I worked in Sharon, Connecticut, which is 30 miles south of Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and both areas are interchangeable in coverage when it comes to tuning into the radio. And like I said, um, you know, I'm moving up the ladder, so to speak, here. I, uh, I'm finally attained the position of midday host along with Saturday mornings. And thank you. And uh, hopefully now this becomes a salaried position where now it's still an hourly position for me. But I, don't, I won't give up because my superiors have the faith in me and I have the faith in myself and I've developed a loyal following here at this uh, radio station, and I think things will come, and I think, you know, when you and I were discussing when we were having Christmas dinner last night in your uh, house, you know, some more possibilities of, you know, future voiceover work down the road. I mean, I'm open to anything that requires me to be behind the microphone, because that's exactly what I'm going to do until the day I die. And... That is something very uh, admirable because uh, uh, many people allow life to lead them where it does uh, and don't give thought to uh, uh, where do they want to go? How are they going to get there? And uh, yes, if you're doing something unconventional, something creative, something artistic, uh, the path is not as well defined uh, as it is for something uh, uh, more traditional, more conventional. And uh, mm-hmm. actually, in many ways, you're better prepared than most people because uh, your uh, profession has always uh, been like a gig type of profession. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. become the norm now in our society. Um, unfortunately, our society, uh, I don't think, is ready 
<laughs> to exist this way. So it's causing a lot of uncertainty and instability and uh, uh, anxiety in, in people. But uh, our, our life is becoming much more fluid and uh, the opportunities that were uh, like a firm foundation are no longer there. This is a totally mm-hmm. different world we find ourselves in. And I remember when you were telling me about uh, um, how, uh, you know, that broadcasting was becoming increasingly less uh, local. And uh, when I was teaching in Pennsylvania, uh, I saw that happen to teaching because I was in uh, uh, a a college teaching a class, but I was connected to five other classes throughout the state. And in addition to addressing my class, I had to look at uh, monitors uh, Mm -hmm. and It'd be like a flashing light, and then I have to click buttons and talk to like people in five classes simultaneously. It was, it was very strange, but that was becoming the normal. Why pay five mm-hmm. teachers when you could pay one teacher? You know, and that's the, yeah, the, that's thing the problem. That, yeah, that's the problem, Hercules. It's all about consolidation right now, and you know, unfortunately, uh, when I was working, you know. 30 years ago, I, you know, I was working in, um, you know, in the capital region of New York State doing an all-night shift. And unfortunately, what I'm trying to say is that that type of shift now in our business has become pretty much uh, obsolete right now. Even though radio stations are on the air, all they're doing is cranking music until the morning show starts on the uh, late night or overnight shifts. Unless, you know, thank God we here at WSBS, we buffer a night shift with uh, some local programming. uh, It's of a sports nature, like tomorrow night I'm going to be engineering a high school basketball game, but at least that will take up some of the evening where we're still keeping it on a local level, you know? But that's the problem. And and it looks like it's not only in the radio business, because you just told me that this is also uh, rampant in the uh, profession of teaching that you are in also. Oh, yes, there, there are many new opportunities that didn't exist uh, before, uh, or they didn't exist as much uh, before as they exist now, but a lot of traditional opportunities uh, uh, no longer exist. Or uh, since uh, moving back to New Jersey, uh, I found that a lot of things I've done for decades, now you need uh, certificates to do them. So the certificates right. uh, are expensive and very time-consuming, and I'm 60, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, this it's, it's, has been a very challenging time, but uh, as you know, uh, I fight back. So um, I've been organizing. Well, you told me at the dinner table last night that you're venturing on the political realm also in your uh, life, don't you? Yeah, the political I never thing expected. That's... Yes, I never expected my cousin would actually toss his hat into the political realm, being that you were not really a politics type of guy. No, but, but uh, it looks I'm, like I'm you're pray- pretty much now changed your tide you know, the tide turns, so to speak. I I have to do something, and that seems the best arena to do something uh, in. Um, And I'm also tackling the problem uh, uh, through the libraries. Uh, We're going to be creating a career center. Uh, It's already in existence, but we have to grow it. Um, that that is is not the way things were done before, but to deal with the challenges of this new economy. Mm -hmm. uh, Because uh, so many people uh, are, especially people of age, uh, and again, I count myself in that number because I'm 60, um, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. very difficult, you know, to uh, um, 
redefine yourself, although I, I could be said to be an expert on that, but uh, it, it is very difficult mm-hmm. for most people to define themselves, and uh, especially to people who are more traditional in their uh, view of a career, and I fit myself in mm-hmm. there uh, as well in many respects. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I don't know how effective what uh, we're doing is going to be, uh, but all of these conversations, mm-hmm. even the one we're having now, uh, are going to be uh, preserved and available uh, to people so that people can learn from our collective experiences rather than our mm-hmm. experiences. And as all my guests pointed out today, most people feel they're very alone uh, when, in fact, uh, the majority of people uh, are in the same boat. So it's, it's, it's not even you and a bunch of uh, people as we used to think before, you know, oh, it's just me and I screwed up or whatever. No, our society <laughs> at large uh, is facing these challenges, uh, not just uh, us as uh, individuals. So I want to thank you for participating in this uh, uh, dialogue uh, because it will help other people, uh, you know, uh, who are facing the same uh, dilemmas. And uh, again, this this is not something. Even though I'm a loner uh, by nature and like to do things on my own, this is not something that I could do on my own. This we're going to need lots and lots of people with uh, different brains in my own, uh, you know, yeah. sharing our yeah. stories and finding a solution. Because, uh, um, like you said, everyone deserves a life that is uh, theirs uniquely, and everyone's born yeah. with a passion and a purpose. And Absolutely. our passion and our purpose enrich everybody, not just uh, uh, the person living it out, but everybody who they uh, touch through their work. Because if your heart is not in it and your entire being is not in it, then, you know, uh, when you're in that bed at the end of life looking back, uh, you know, what do you have really? But memories. Yeah, what of- you really have is nothing because, like you said, you have to, you know, chase what you want, you know, despite what, you know, a lot of, you know, I'm, uh, oh, you're aware of this, obviously, because we're also family, but the other members of my family are still questioning me as to why I still pursue this uh, broadcasting career and that I should, uh, you know, pretty much give it up and, you know, do something with for a regular paycheck to retire, but I'm not going to do that because that's not me. Like, it's not you to go back and work at an office. I remember you used to work in an office with my cousin, Artie Papataros. God love him and rest, God rest his soul. Yeah. But I, even I though you did your part in helping people, you know, it still wasn't you. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Your purpose was doing what you're doing right now. The internet radio shows, uh, the teachings, the uh, workshops at the libraries right now, the possibility of running for political office. I mean, well, the I'm possibilities are just... Running. So the possibilities oh, become a reality. You, you, you confirmed that to me yesterday at the dinner table yep. when we were having Christmas dinner. <laughs> and and uh, I couldn't be more proud of you, cuz. Thank you. I'm, I'm greatly honored. I couldn't be more proud of you, and I'm just hoping that you do, uh, you know, put the pieces in the puzzle together. Like I said, I wish I, wish I lived in Bergen County because I'd be the first to line up at the voting booth and uh, cast my ballot for you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm greatly honored, and I'm fully supportive of all that you do uh, uh, as well. Like I said, what, what you do takes and I like the fact I like the project crime. that you were discussing with me with your wife in regard to the Crestkill uh, Library. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very but proud of what's happening there. That's a, that's a, there are awesome people there who deeply care about uh, um, the community that uh, we serve, and they're really dedicating a lot of their time and energy. Uh, you know, we're writing grants, we're brainstorming, we're trying different things. Uh, um, so we have mm-hmm. some really good people there doing really good work. Yeah, and, uh, so, and no doubt that you're putting in your two cents and you're actually making this happen in more ways than one. In in any way that I can, I'm I'm giving what I what I possibly can. Now, um, we were discussing the possibility of, of creating uh, new entertainment forms, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, these entertainment forms. Uh, and this is something I learned long time ago uh, when I was uh, um, running internship programs. Is that uh, internship mm-hmm. or volunteering is actually a good step because like, for instance, a lot of my paid gigs come out of volunteer things that I do. You know, people see something that I do somewhere. They, uh, they think it's fun yes. or they think it's informative and then they approach me for, uh, um, you know, for pay. And uh, um, I, sometimes I get very interesting offers like playing Samson in the Nyack Theater because I was giving a talk in Atlantis or something. And uh, the uh, person attending had authored a play that was going to play in the, in the theater. And that was a paid gig, too. And uh, um, what do you call that? was a lot of fun uh, when it lasted. And uh, um, so all sorts of different uh, paid opportunities. But sometimes you need to uh, put out like free samples. Uh, so that people can understand what it is that, that you're mm-hmm. offering. So I'm very excited by some of the things that we discussed. And uh, next time you're over, we will uh, sit down and evolve them uh, further. Right. Right. Well, now, I'm open to any uh, conversation, like you said, like I said, you know. And now, the whole, uh, you know, lesson to be learned is that you have to, you know, go after what you want to go after in life and uh, not let anybody else deter you from it in more ways than one. Like, you know, there are members of our family that try to deter you and me from pursuing what we're doing, you know? And that wasn't right. They should be, you know, aligning with us instead of giving us their two cents and saying, no, you should be doing this because it will satisfy me and not you. And that's not the way it happens, you know? Yeah, I... I I stopped listening to those voices decades ago because, uh, again, I'm a very eccentric uh, person, uh, and eccentrics mm-hmm. get more eccentric as they get, they get older. That's certainly been true right. uh, for me. So um, absolutely, now, absolutely. Now, I'm again, I'm I'm 60, and you're three years younger than me, or two years younger than me, right? Yes. Yes, you're two yes. years younger than me. Um, now I'm finding that as I um, approach the the years ahead, what you were talking about becomes uh, even more important mm-hmm. uh, because um, it, yeah. it becomes what what did I do with my life? You know, did I do the things I really wanted to do? Because uh, I work with terminally ill people in hospitals and you know, nursing homes in the past, and mm-hmm. uh, the worst thing a person can have at the end of life is regrets. So right. uh, it usually isn't uh, about money or position or things like that, but it's about uh, simple things and passions. You know, did you live uh, uh, passionately? Did you uh, use yourself up in terms of sharing your gifts with uh, the world? Uh, did you, you know, 
those type of things become very important. And even though I have not succeeded at everything I've done, uh, I've attempted a great many things, some of them really cool. So uh, I can honestly say uh, that when I'm in that bed, uh, what do you call it? There, there will be very few things that I regret because I try to live my life like that. And uh, it, I think that you're following your passions uh, will give you that same uh, gift that when you're looking back, um, what do you call it? You didn't give in to the voices. You didn't give in to uh, the pressure. You didn't give in, uh, but you stuck with that which you truly love and care about. And uh, you managed to uh, survive all that life threw at you uh, on your path to being who you are. Correct. That's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, and we continue to still strive for it also. Like I said, um, I'm uh, going through a period of, uh, you know, progress where I am at my radio station here in Massachusetts. And hopefully one of these days I'll uh, progress into a more uh, permanent salary position, even though I have the stability on the air right now. It looks like everything comes in small pieces. Unfortunately, that's the way it is uh, in a lot of aspects in this business. But but again, as the times change, uh, so have you. Well, that's the whole uh, thing. We're we're victims of circumstance in regards to times changing, you know? And 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 life has not knocked you off that that mechanical bull. You're still sitting sitting on there. uh, I try my best. I try my best. You know, you know, you have to be a survivor. Now, I've placed on uh, the description on Facebook uh, a link to your uh, Facebook page and also to two of the uh, stations that you had listed on your Facebook page. Is there anything else you would like me to add? Nope, uh, that's about it. Uh, Like I said, um, WSBS.com, that's the place to get me. As a matter of fact, I'm working mornings this week for my boss who's on vacation, but normally I work the midday shift after 10 a.m., so you want to tune in and tomorrow morning and Friday morning, and I do my usual Saturday morning shift. You can find me there. And then I'm on Sunday mornings. I do my oldie show in northeastern Connecticut, and that's uh, www.wynyradio.com. And we play the best mix of music from the 50s, 60s, and early 70s and add a lot of uh, you know different spice to that as well. It's very much, uh, it's very much a nostalgia show. And uh, I take requests there, too. So if you want to call me up for a request when you listen online, you can feel free to do so or message me on Facebook, and I'd be glad to play something for you. But um, that's what it's all about. I'm not, I'm not in the studios to entertain myself. I'm in the studio to entertain you, the audience. And that's the mantra of this whole thing, that uh, I'm not going in every day to do a radio show and, you know, make myself entertained because I want to be out there to entertain you out there, whether you're listening on the dial or worldwide on the web or on the app, either way, it's very much appreciative. And um, that's what I'm here for. And that's what I'll continue to do. And like I said, until I take my last breath. And uh, I'm glad that uh, opportunities are starting to pop up on your road. And I know that uh, as you move forward, more and more opportunities will uh, present themselves because uh, they always have in the past. Things are go up and down, but you're there and you get through everything. So that's uh, 
uh, an awesome thing, and you have a wonderful gift that you've been cultivating over the course of an entire lifetime. So uh, your gift certainly mm-hmm. brightens and helps people in the world. And on that note, our conversation for tonight is over. But I want to thank yes. you, Ron, for being on the show. I look forward to next time you're on. We're going to have you on the Coliseum again. Um, yeah, I very look forward shortly. to that, Hercules. Keep me posted. Keep me posted and let me know what's going on with that. I look forward to to chatting Peplum with you once again because I always have fun with it. And, you know, we were born and raised with that genre of uh, entertainment. And I can't wait to dive in and uh, chat more about that when the new year comes uh, around. Same here, Sadofe. Uh, I will talk to you very soon. And to those who've joined us tonight, thank you for joining us on this adventure uh, in uh, vocation and identity. Uh, on the uh, yeah. fourth uh, Wednesday of the month to continue this conversation. Uh, thanks to all who joined us tonight. Um, and uh, adios. Happy New Year. Season's yes. greetings. Happy New Year to everybody. Blessed and joyous 2019. And uh, like we say in our language, Kalinichta. Kalinichta. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>